We know that building and running a company is hard work and that its success requires great leadership. Because we believe people can achieve incredible things, we want to shine a light on those people who are improving their organizations. Join us as Core Talent's Laura King invites presidents, CEOs, and executives to share their stories on how they have transformed their business and implemented unique strategies to ensure its success. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. Here's your host, Laura King. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. I am here today with Nick Alm. Nick, I'm going to give a little bio on you first, okay? Awesome. All right. So Nick was born in St. Paul. He grew up in Stillwater, Minnesota. While pursuing a degree in management information systems from the University of Minnesota, he co-founded the Carlson School's first undergraduate LGBT student organization, Compass. It was through that group that he developed a deep passion for advancing conversations about LGBT community in corporate America, as well as the global LGBTQ community. Today, Nick is the co-founder and CEO of Mosher, a social enterprise that helps organizations recruit and retain LGBTQ talent. Profits from Mosher are granted to LGBTQ entrepreneurs in East Africa. So to date, Mosher has funded and supported eight LGBTQ-owned businesses within the tourism and agricultural space. In the long term, Mosher intends to be a local, national, and global leader on LGBTQ economic and employment issues. Oh, Nick, I am so excited to chat with you today. Thank you. I was so excited. So, I mean, where do we even start? Yeah. I think you should tell the story of Mosher. The story of Kevin Mosher? Yes. Specifically? Absolutely. Yes. Our name comes from a Minnesota entrepreneur, uh, Kevin Mosier, in the early 80s, Kevin was on vacation in Key West, Florida. At the time, this was supposed to be a safe place as a gay couple to travel and uh, have a good time. And he was actually assaulted in Key West. And that incident was the inspiration for him founding RSVP Vacations. His idea was essentially to put hundreds of gay men on a ship and just sail it out in, into the middle of the ocean as a way to create a safe uh, vacation opportunity. And so he was, uh, I don't know if we had this, the term social entrepreneurship at the time, but he was... And what year was this? This was 1985. Okay. Uh, Kevin was uh, in the was a founding member of the Northland Business Association, which was our LGBT Chamber of Commerce back in the late 80s. And Kevin made a lot of money. The gay travel industry today is about $60 billion. And so much of that, the uh, inspiration for that uh, was Kevin's company. He made people realize that this was a major business opportunity. And so it lives on today uh, for many of the same reasons. And Kevin passed away, uh, complications related to HIV AIDS in 1996. And he put $13 million in the Kevin J. Mosier Foundation. $13 million. $13 million okay. of that RSVP money. 20 years went by. Kevin funded everything from a bus tour for LGBT folks to go around to... Um, 
conservative Christian college campuses and have difficult conversations with students. Uh, He funded scholarships at the University of Minnesota, was one of the largest funders of marriage equality here in Minnesota back in 2013 when we were fighting that proposed amendment that would have uh, barred us out of the Constitution. So it did a lot of different things, most of it grassroots. And then we got the final check as our uh, startup grant uh, in 2016 as the foundation was going to sunset. So it was not a foundation that was meant to go on forever. But today, we're taking Kevin's legacy of creating safe employment opportunities for the LGBT community, where people can be out, something he did in the 80s, which was unheard of, uh, expanding that in Minnesota, but then also taking it to the 70 countries where it's still illegal to be gay, uh, where starting your own business is really the only option to get employment and build a life. So you were approached. Tell us the story of how this came to be for you. So I was at an internship with a local consultancy called Conlego. And they do strategic negotiations and corporate social responsibility work. And this was uh, my second year of business school. Very interested in getting involved in social impact and uh, corporate social responsibility. My client there uh, that summer was a man named Charlie Rounds. And Charlie Rounds had come to Conlego, was good friends with the founder, and said, I've traveled internationally now for several years meeting with LGBT activists. And I've asked them time and time again, what do you really need? And the answer was always, we need to make our own money. Uh, we cannot get employment. And that is the start of so many other problems. And in 2016, obviously, we had some serious changes to our government for eight years under the Kerry and Clinton uh, administration's Secretary of State Department, they, we, the U.S. really expanded our role globally in funding and advocating for LGBT issues. And now all of that went away. So these global LGBT communities are saying, we, we really can't rely on the U.S. government. We really shouldn't rely on them, period. Uh, it would be much more effective and much more lasting if we had economic control and power where we're based. Uh, and so that was the what we started uh poking around at for six months, interviewing entrepreneurs. And then eventually we realized there was such a huge need and that was was funding, uh, actually providing grants to help people get off the ground. And so we got incorporated and started fundraising and Mosier, the the Mosier, which is now a 501c3 nonprofit, was born uh, January 2017. So you've had had already a a couple pivots in the business. Totally. Talk to us about those. Some serious pivots. Well, you know, it is. It's really interesting. You spent the first two years going all over the country, New York, D.C., San Francisco, where all of the big LGBT money is and where the big LGBT foundations are. And what we realized was the intersection of global LGBT communities, economic empowerment, small business, entrepreneurship. Nobody's funding that. That's not that's that is not a widely accepted human rights framework. It is not uh, the public health people weren't interested. The human rights community wasn't really interested. Uh, we couldn't find anybody who wanted to buy in for some of those philosophical reasons, but also just because we were a small, fledgling nonprofit with one, you know, one and a half uh, staff members and not a lot of, not a huge track record. No one else had done this before. No one else had done yeah. this before. There, there's one other group in London, uh, based out of London, that is a little older than we are that's doing this, but that, that's it that I'm aware of. Um, so we went to corporations and we said, 
you know, I'll, I'll use, um, I won't use any a specific company that turned us down, but <laughs> we went to a lot of companies and we said, you know, you have billions of dollars in business in East Africa, and we can create a very compelling case for you that advancing that those countries socially is going to create more business opportunities for you. So please support and would you help us fundraise for this lesbian owned poultry farm operation? And we're thinking it's going to go over so great. And these companies are got these corporate social responsibility initiatives. And this is totally going to be an easy buy-in for them. It fell flat time and time again. And not because people didn't love the idea, but because what we kept hearing was, well, we don't even know how many LGBT people work for our company here in Minneapolis. Our company does not even have a strategy for how to recruit LGBT people. Our company really hasn't even expanded our corporate social responsibility program to include anything other than, you know, giving to kind of these, uh, the same set of nonprofits and maybe having a corporate giving program and a match and whatever. So I'm, I'm doing, I'm building Compass at the University of Minnesota at the time and learning the corporate sponsorship game and just seeing how many dollars exist in this diversity and inclusion space. And I said, what if we started consulting with these companies on that topic and then taking that, those dollars and putting it into the LGBT-owned businesses that we were supporting globally. And that's the model that you landed on? That is the model we landed on through the Finnovation Fellowship uh, that I was in for nine months uh, this past year. Uh, my mentors in that program said, why not do both and become a social enterprise and really get out of this? Obviously, the traditional nonprofit model is not going to work for you. We learned that right away. Mm-hmm. The grant thing and mm-hmm. the, you know, we we would we certainly do very well with individual fundraising, but you have to raise for, you know, just to have a one person organization, I mean, you have to raise $75,000 a year just to exist. Exactly. Exactly. So you're not a 501c3. You are. We are, we are legally a 501c3. You I, are. Okay. I, I call us a 501c3 social enterprise. Okay. I, it, there's so many different kind of terms to call, uh, that we can use, but I run our consulting work as if it were a for profit business. Sure. And, uh, I think it's a bunch of semantics when we get into, you know, how you end up paying your taxes at the mm-hmm. end of the day. It's really, the point is um, the impact that we're having and the work here locally helps us have more of an impact globally. And it's, uh, we're not, you know, funding private jets and things like that. So I hate using the term like for-profit, but um, legally we are, we're a nonprofit. So if I'm an HR leader at Securian or mm-hmm. United Health Group, right? What does my engagement look like with you? So we have a few different options. The entry level point uh, are our two big pieces of program, programming that we'll do every year. It's our Proud to Work Minnesota conference, which is in May, and then our Proud to Work Minnesota career fair. So the conference we train, we're going to train 300 HR diversity and inclusion folks locally here uh, in May on our eight kind of standardized topics that we consult on. And I can go into those. The career fair, obviously, is is a we developed that one because people really have been asking for that for the last five years that I've been doing this work. And HR folks and recruiters, they know exactly what a career fair is. It's a great entry point and a low cost way to get exposed to our mission. The other option then as I go, as I meet with companies one on one, is I say, you know, what's a where where do you want to be in five years? Do you want to do something like design a one year retainer model where we start designing that plan together? Is it, do you need kind of just a, a lunch and learn, a series of lunch and learns, a series of presentations to your HR department and your uh, your diversity council if you have one? Most companies are 
really still in the early stages of this. So mm-hmm. I find myself, I thought I was going to be doing a lot of this, you know, longer term, one year, high level strategy stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I've realized the next few years, it's really going to be more of these one-off engagements, trying to get people to understand what they uh, don't know they don't know, getting more buy-in for this issue, uh, getting people to realize that you need to view diversity and inclusion the same way you view marketing and supply chain and finance. And it's just as important and it has some serious financial benefits if you do it right. So I'm, I'm fighting that uphill battle right now, but uh, eventually the, the, this is, we're setting this up to be a, you know, a full scale consultancy. Mm-hmm. And where are you at in terms of your staff today? So I just hired my second person. Congratulations. Uh, such a thank you. It is really, it feels so good to say that. And Liz is her name and she'll start next week. And Liz is going to be really crucial in taking over one, a lot of the logistics for our conference and career fair. Cause that is just a, I'm, I'm sure anyone who does that work, you know, how, how much goes into just communicating with companies and that whole thing. Liz also has an education background. And so Liz is going to be super helpful in getting all the things that I know that are in my head onto PowerPoints and into training materials that are actually set up to um, with some teaching science built into it. Uh, I do these talks and I kind of I'm really winging it at, to date in terms of uh, trying to get people to a state of you know wanting to learn and be curious and things like that. But she's really going to formalize that. And I'm so excited to have her start next week. certain metrics that you know you are recommending companies begin putting in place and and you know how do they how do they even start so the education and awareness piece is the first there's kind of this four stage leadership uh, inclusive leadership continuum that I teach and so many people are in the unaware phase it's unaware aware um, advocate and champion and we got to get out of the unaware phase first and so there's a there's a stage where you admit that you do not know much about this, and you call somebody in to do that education. Which takes also quite a bit of, I mean, guts. Yep. Because for people to admit they don't know what they don't know. Yep. And if you're listening to this and that is you, I mean, it's really, uh, I think you kind of think you're going to be exposed as this, you know, bigot, or I think people really think, you know, because I'm behind, I'm somehow a bad person. I see that all the time, and that's just not true. And the best thing you can do especially if you're a leader at an organization, to say, you know what, we've never talked about this. There's, this is clearly a big issue. It is certainly in vogue right now, but it's not going away. We've always had these issues. Who can we call? Who can we get in contact with to just start the conversation? Mm-hmm. So starting is, is 50% of the challenge. Then you get into the more nitty gritty, okay, the, the kind of the frontier that a lot of the big companies are working on are self-identification programs. Sure to start tracking how many LGBT people are you hiring? Are they staying? Uh, where in the organization are they not being promoted? Uh, where in the organization do we have some sort of uh, disparate turnover rates, et cetera? So that we can start to say, you know, okay, you spent thousands of dollars going to these diversity career fairs. How many LGBT folks did you actually get? Uh, and are they are they staying? And 
Well, even are they are they willing to raise their hand and, and identify themselves? Absolutely. Right? I mean, isn't that part of the issue too? It's a huge issue. And I don't know any corporation that is doing self-identification that is getting more than 2% LGBT self-ID. And so for, for perspective, at least 4.5% of the general population is LGBTQ. 19% of Generation Z identifies as queer. So not cisgender, not heterosexual, somewhere on in between or around the spectrum of gender identity and sexual orientation. Interesting. Yeah. So a lot of work to do. And when you and have... And is that higher than any other generation? Oh, yeah, by far. And it, it has been steadily increasing as we have begun to dismantle this concept of gender and these socially constructed definitions of, you know, what it means to show up as somebody who was assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. And so... There's a, you have a whole generation that's saying, you know, I don't know, I don't care, I want to, I want to dress the way I want to dress, I want to love the people I want to love, and that is, you know, queer is really becoming that we're reclaiming that what was a slur for a long time and still is in some ways, we're reclaiming that term to uh, describe a community that is inclusive of anybody who's a little different, okay. essentially. Okay. So if the first step is just the awareness piece, where I mean. Some of the you know companies that you're working with today, how far along on the journey are they after working with you? You know, the comp- I think we can do. There's kind of a leapfrog uh, effect that I think uh, really gets a jumpstart with corporations because there's people when when you when they realize that they're behind, they really there's a lot of energy behind the uh, discussion. There's, it gets a, we get a lot lot of buy-in really quickly. It's sustaining that. Uh, which as we move further into this consulting work will be interesting to see uh, hiring somebody to come in once or twice a year to talk about this or to mm-hmm. work with your company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thinking that that's going to be all you need for the next five years is just incredibly unrealistic. And there's no evidence or research that suggests that you're going to move the needle. In fact, you're actually going to kind of, uh, if anything, move things backwards as you kind of promote this idea that this is like just a the, box the to check. Proverbial checking of the box. It is. Yes. It is. It's an, it's an ongoing, conscious, serious commitment. And you either have it or you don't. And it, and it goes for LGBT, it goes for women, it goes for people of color. It goes for just in general thinking about how people at your organization are allowed to be who they are, whatever that means. 50% of straight white men cover at work about a mental health, mental health illness, uh, a family situation, what have you? We're all covering and hiding who we are at work on some level. So that that is the bigger issue here. We specialize in the LGBT segment, but companies have to get serious about ending these um, this inability for people to to show up as they are. So what's? I mean, I know this is pie in the sky, but what's your dream? I mean, whether when you're looking out five years from now, ten years from now. The, the dream for Mosier specifically is that Minnesota is the global center of LGBTQ employment equality and equity. So, and what I mean, what I mean by that is we are the greatest state in the country and in the world for LGBT to work. Uh, no matter where you're born in the world, you know that Minnesota is a, uh, a light on the hill. And the same way we've known for a long time that New York City and Washington, D.C. and uh, San Francisco have been that. Mm-hmm. So we have to really create this intentional effort to brand ourselves uh, in that way. We're, we've got so much going for us already. 
it's, it's a great state to work in and live and uh, for so many people. But we've got a lot of challenges um, with the LGBT community, with um, communities of color specifically. And um, so I want Minnesota to really realize the economic benefit um, if we were to own that mission, if we were to become that it would it would be a t- it would lift all boats for sure. So how are you going to measure that? So there's a few ways that you measure it. We are working on uh, a statewide, two statewide surveys right now. Okay. One is going to be for employers. One is going to be for LGBTQ talent in Minnesota. So the first step is to see what the gap is between how employers think they're doing on these issues versus what talent is saying, and more specifically. Uh, I'm modeling, I really uh, was inspired by Make It MSP's uh, Professionals of Color survey that they did in 2016 to mm-hmm. find out why do professionals, professionals of color, color work here? Why are they choosing to stay or leave in the next five years? Are they planning to stay or leave and why? Uh, we want to do that on LGBT to at least get a benchmark because right now we don't even know kind of where the floor is. Okay. Um, so once we have that, then we'll start to say, okay, nationally we know that for about 46% of our community is in the closet at work. Where does Minnesota stand on that? And we want to get that to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We know that there are going to be, um, to me, when we look at the leadership of organizations, we look at chief executive officers. We've got Beth Ford at Lando Lakes, first openly lesbian CEO of the, in a Fortune 500 company. Amazing. But we're incredibly underrepresented. So to me, another success metric is, when we look at Fortune 500 leadership and leadership at all organizations, all businesses, big and small, are we hitting? Are we in that you know five to twenty percent range? Do we have uh, LGBT people at the table? Mm-hmm. Those are the, those are the two biggest things. Um, looking at income inequality within that, specifically for LGBT women and LGBT pe- people of color and the transgender community, is also I think going to be a, a great number to watch and and work on specifically. Mm-hmm. How do you stay motivated? Because, I mean, it's almost like you're starting from ground zero. Yeah. Like pushing this boulder up the hill. Yeah. The good news is, in some ways, we are starting from ground zero. In many ways, again, this this started in 1985. I mean, in some ways, you know, uh, Michael McConnell, Jack Baker, 1971, the first gay couple to get a marriage certificate, to have a legal marriage. That happened in Minnesota. Uh, 1975, Minneapolis became the first city to have transgender discrimination protections. Um, and then today you look at who do we have on our city council? The first two openly transgender people of color to serve in elected office ever. So there, there, we have got, again, coming back to why Minnesota is positioned to do this, mm-hmm. I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of people uh, who have uh, worked to make this state the center of this conversation. And uh, it, it is. It's, it's hard to um, to look out and not see a clear path forward. But I think I've got some amazing mentors. Uh, the Finnovation Fellowship here for nine months really helped me hone in on, you know, what is the actual business model? I've had a ton of support. I know exactly who to call for whatever issue I'm having on a given day or whether it's a, an emotional issue, personal issue or it's a, a business issue. I've, I've, I've built that circle around me. And so knowing who to call and when to call and and knowing how to ask for help is what has kept me going. Can you share with our listeners um, what is the Finnovation Lab and what what the the program that Mm -hmm. you qualified for? So 
Finnegan's Brewing Company was founded by Jackie Berglund. Jackie Berglund donates 100% of uh, net profits from Finnegan's to hunger-related charities. She's given hundreds of thousands of dollars away in the last 18 years. I think it might actually be over a million now. And Jackie Berglund built the Finnovation Lab above her brewery as a co-working space to house social entrepreneurs. Uh, the Bush Foundation teamed up with the Finnovation Lab to fund uh, a fellowship program, a nine-month fellowship that provided funding and technical support and mentorship for social entrepreneurs who are in the, the zero to three-year range, um, mm-hmm. who are just getting started. They're, they're really passionate. They haven't burned out yet, but they don't have a financial model, a business plan, et cetera. And so uh, now this is where I work out of uh, downtown here where you know I, I walk luckily to a lot of my meetings with these companies. So it's really just a great place to be inspired by people who are uh, in business, but their first uh, focus is having some sort of impact or solving some major uh, problem in society. Mm-hmm. Well, not to mention, it's also a, just a beautiful space. It's gorgeous. So come on down sometime. <laughs> what about um, how... How have you found mentors in your life, you know, in, in, in terms of being proactive mm-hmm. in finding others that will round out your skill set? Right. You know, I was very fortunate when I met Charlie Rounds at that internship sure. almost four years ago. He was the, that, that first mentor who really took me under his wing and then started to introduce me to people in his network. And I think with mentorship in general... I had, I had one other mentor through a leadership program in college, and he helped me design my my board matrix and figuring out what exactly, what am I good at, what am I not good at, and now go find people who are good at what I'm not good at. And uh, I think anyone who's looking for a mentor, who wants to be mentored, I think the key is to just ask. And people, for one, are way more willing than you think. And two, when I hear the word no, or when I ask them to be on my board or to mentor me, um, when people say, I don't have the time, or I would love to, but I just can't, they're almost always then happy to say, you know, uh, if I say, do you have any recommendations for folks in your network? This is, again, what I'm looking for. Do you know anybody that I could just sit down and have a coffee with? Just don't forget formal mentorship. I just want to have a coffee with somebody about this. And all my mentorship relationships have just grown from these you know, hey, can you, can I sit down with you for an hour? And could you tell me about what you do? And can I learn from you? And, um, you know, a few months later, follow up, uh, creating those consistent connections. And and then all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, wow, I guess you're my mentor. <laughs> you know, like, you- well, I, I, I'm a big proponent of not making it overly formal right. and, and not calling someone up and saying, will you be my mentor? But it just happens mm-hmm. over time. It really, it, it does like that with the board situation and with, you know, more, uh, with roles involved with my business, I think maybe that's where you need to be kind of more direct. But yeah, the, the, a lot of, and as I'm talking out loud now, a lot of my mentoring relationships have have come very organically, for sure. So what's the most practical piece of advice that you've ever been given? The most practical piece of advice was to get over it and to get over yourself and to, um, you know, take a take a step, put two degrees of separation between what you're doing and who you are and uh, understand that the success or failure of your business is not the success or failure of you. Oh, that's so true. So, so true. many people are wrapped up in that. When I remember, I was, and we're looking, I'm looking across at the boardroom where I had the aha moment where somebody said that and it just, you know, you have those moments where it kind of drops into you and you feel it through your whole body because 
I became so much more effective when I took some of the emotional, spiritual burden off myself, thinking that if this was, wasn't successful, then, you know, I wasn't going to be able to do anything else after that. And I, I, I can actually look with some um, object, objectivity at what needs to happen. How do I need to make money? Yes, I want to have impact, but there's a, this is a business. I need to pay the bills. Um, you know, I'm not going to solve uh, world hunger. I'm not going to save every LGBT person in the world. That's that's unrealistic. So just stepping out of some of these uh, really, I think, damaging narratives that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. who we who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do and um, what we think others want us to do. Or perhaps, I mean, even just realizing that if your ego is wrapped up in your work persona. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. And I'm still undoing some of that. But it was, I remember that moment very clearly when that, when someone said that. So So what if someone's listening who um, is just really more curious about um, the fellowship that you went through? How Mm -hmm. would they find out more about about that. Yeah, finnovationlab.com is going to have all of that information and uh, they just brought in nine new fellows uh, this year. Incredible people solving, I mean, some really interesting uh, businesses and problems that they're working on. I, I'm almost positive that there's for sure going to be a, a third year of the program. So again, if you're in that zero to three year range, you've got a social business concept. Do not worry too much. It does not need to be super baked. I mean, I, I think about where I was two years ago and what I, you know, talked about in the interview, it has completely changed. <laughs> um, so it it really is this amazing uh, opportunity if you're somebody who's saying, I, I know I want to do this. I know I want to formalize it into a business. I just need uh, a boost. And the Finnovation Fellowship is that is that boost. What about if I work for a company, large or small, mm-hmm. and I'm really passionate about bringing this to my organization? How would I get in touch with you? Nick, N-I-C-K at Mosier.org is the, is the best way to get in touch with me. Um, ProudToWorkMN.com has our, uh, houses our local consulting work. ProudToWorkMN.com, and we'll put all this in the show notes as well. Awesome, and that, that's got a form where you can uh, reach out to me directly. Uh, social media always uh, is, is an easy way to do that. But uh, whether you're interested in talking about this, this global uh, work that we're doing overseas or this local work, it, um, I, I, I do both. So, and uh, that is the next hire is actually to get a global program director and take that off my plate. So, yeah, that is uh, that's how you can get in touch with me. Wonderful. Before we move on to our lightning round, Nick, is there anything else that you'd like to add? You know, I think if you're listening to this now is really again the time. If you've really wanted to uh, get involved with this issue, this is kind of your invitation. I think uh, so much of this conversation around diversity and inclusion can feel exclusionary, which is so, so against the point of what this is all about. And so uh, I want to, I want to extend an open invitation to anybody who's listening to this, that let's start the conversation. Uh, whether you want to work with Mosier or not, I guarantee we can get you connected to the right people in the community. We've got so much talent, so much, uh, so many amazing thinkers and speakers and et cetera, who can help your organization. Yeah, so Nick is very, very well connected. Let's do it. Yes. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Nick, what is a book that you've read in the last five years that you recommend most to others? So it's it's becoming super cliche at this point, but Gifts of Imperfection by Mm -hmm. Brene Brown. Just Mm -hmm. quick read, easy read, 
it, it, I mean, it's 120 pages. It will totally, it, it sent me down the, the, I don't even want to call it the self-help path, but it just, it opened up and expanded how I think about my life and, you know, the courage that it takes to do something like entrepreneurship and the ability to give yourself some leeway. And it, I read it a year ago and it, it just, it's astounding how mm-hmm. much has stemmed and my, th- how much my thinking has changed from that. From Brent, and I've read all of her books now, so check them all out. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan, too. What is your uh, favorite app? The LinkedIn app okay. is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like super easy to use. Might be one of my favorites as well. It is. I, I don't have any other social media on my phone except for LinkedIn uh, for uh, focusing and other, for <laughs> you know time management purposes. But it's it, LinkedIn is such a huge part of my, about my job, and I'm always staying in touch with people. And um, I find it it's just more engaging and it's a little mm-hmm. more focused mm-hmm. LinkedIn in general is just like uh people kind of luckily stick to kind of it's the just, point of LinkedIn it's also just really positive po- it's way more positive yes. oh my gosh yes I l- thank you it is congrats yeah congrats on the new role and you know wow what a great project you're working on it's it is it's I guess I really at least what I see is supportive and loving and people trying to lift each other up so beautiful what is a fun fact people would never guess about you I would say I, I played the violin for 12 years. I still do, technically. Um, I was a two-time All-State, Minnesota All-State violinist. I studied privately with a member of the Minnesota Orchestra. It was a super huge part of my, li- a, a part of my life um, in junior high and high school. And if you had asked me what I wanted to be senior year of high school, you know, pen- no, not worrying about money or anything else, I would have said be a music teacher. Um, but I went to business school, so. But you, I, you and my husband both. Oh, yeah, really? He was also going to do that. Yeah, and I think teaching is in my life. I, I you know, that I think that was um, teaching, career coaching, something along those lines is, is something that I'm really passionate about. So you're young, you, right? You can have a whole right. other career ahead of you. Totally, totally. Multiple, I think multiple, probably. <laughs> and then finally, what time do you wake up in the morning? So unfortunately, it varies too much. Uh, I'm trying to schedule things at 8 a.m. these days because I just, if I start my day before 9 a.m., if the first meeting or the first whatever is before 9, I just find that I just, you get ahead of the day a little bit more. You know, five o'clock rolls around and I actually feel like I've done something Something. versus Mm -hmm. like, you know, drowning and feeling like, what did I actually do? So, I don't know. I've tried a few yoga classes at 6 a.m. and that's been brutal. Um, so we'll see if we'll continue <laughs> also, that. Also, I believe there's different phases of life. You right. might find you're a morning person later in life. That's what I'm saying. Yes. And I'm a total night owl. My creative time is like 9 to midnight is when mm-hmm. I my brain just really gets going and all my good ideas come good out. Juices. For, yeah, yeah, so it's hard to like pull the plug at I, I get it. Well, Nick, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your story and... Oh, Mosher and what everything that Thank you're doing. You. Uh, it's you. just, it's wonderful to hear um, about these. I, I mean, I mean, this is the, the true wonderful part about doing this podcast is, you know, I, I'm now hearing from other companies that I've never heard of before and people are reaching out and mm-hmm. there's so many incredible stories from this small business community here. I love it. And I'm so grateful for you choosing to have me on. So thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Core Talent Connects. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app 
and share this episode with a friend or colleague. Hi, I'm Laura King from Core Talent. I'd like to invite you to visit coretalent.com to learn more about how Core Talent accelerates business growth through people. That's C-O-R-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. And if you're interested in having me speak on a panel or at your next event about the evolution of recruiting, modern workplace culture, retention, or employee engagement, please drop me a note at lking@coretalent.com or ping me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.